0: Hi, I'm Christine Anderson, a librarian who loves reading everything from
1: classics to modern thrillers. And I'm Josie Thames, a professional scheduler who primarily reads from a gigantic backlist to fantasy novels and romantic comics. We love talking about books and book culture so much. We founded the Fox and Heron Literary Society.
0: Welcome to Off Subject with Fox and Heron. So very exciting news. It made our whole week that we got our first bit of email from fellow reader. It came this week from Jarrett, who is actually a a close friend of Tracy Josie's sister. And he said he loves listening to podcasts while he's out walking his dog. And he had just finished listening to our episode two, which was our children's top six pigs that we chose. And he sent us his on and we're going to list all of these and his honorable mentions on our blog. So you can get them all there. So his number one was Charlotte's Web, which I didn't even think about. And I love that book. Uh, Number two was V.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic and all the sequels. Number three was Little House on the Prairie series, which again, I have and read and didn't even think about. Number four was Carrie by Stephen King, which I think I was all the way out of college or in college before I started
1: reading Stephen King. I (laughs) still never read Stephen (laughs) King. Crazy (laughs) Blue them, but not me. I just can't. I just can't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I definitely
0: wasn't ready for them uh the lion the witch in the wardrobe oh. and then his last was the king with six friends by jay williams which i had never heard of so i'm going to read his recap which says this is one of the few books that he still keeps um it's about a king who lost his kingdom in a battle but sets out to find work along the way he meets six, six friends all who have special powers that help him on his journey he loved the illustrations and how each person that was met had a unique talent that made them special, even though that was also what made them an outcast. So it sounds like a great book. And then he closed Ooh. out by saying he could name so many more and he will save them for another time, but to keep up with the podcast and he's going to continue listening.
1: How wonderful, Jared. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. It was so good to hear from you. Well, it's been so long since I've seen you. I had actually forgotten what a big reader you are so it's so good to connect with you again on that level thank you thank you for the good recommendation i've got to find the king and his six friends because i hadn't i hadn't heard of that one before i hadn't heard of that either but it sounds like something i would have enjoyed exactly well that was wonderful i i hope people continue to write in it's so nice to hear <laughs> from people who also like to read especially when you feel like you live in a place where people aren't vocal about their reading let's say it, let's say it that way also i would like to say I'm really excited about this new way that we're recording. And so hopefully that will get more listeners. I hope so,
0: because I couldn't figure out why we sounded like we were talking on top of each other. And I was laughing at just all the wrong times. And I realized that the vocals were getting mangled up somehow in our other system. So we're going to try this. <laughs> I'm really
1: very, very excited. And I hope our listeners stick with us. Because they've been through the three previous episodes and now the fourth one's going to sound the best. It's going to sound great from here on out. Without further ado, let's get forward with episode four. Yay episode.
0: So today we're going to be talking about reader wheelhouses. For those listeners who don't know a wheelhouse is a subject or trope in a book that will cause you to immediately want to pick it up and read it. So this can be anything, it can be the genre, your genre type, your wheelhouse is made up of all different categories, and it can be a mix of different things that makes up your wheelhouse. So we'll see where we stand with that. (laughs) When did you first hear about wheelhouses?
1: And I know I'm probably behind the times, because I sometimes live like I've got my head stuck in the sand, Um, but I didn't hear about wheelhouses until like last summer when I started listening to this other podcast. So that's how I heard it. I first heard of Wheelhouse's last spring or summer. I mean, I I, I kind of knew the concept behind it because I know what kind of books I've always been drawn to, but I just, I never had a name for it. But knowing the name for it makes it a lot easier to express. Hi, my name is Josie. My Reader Wheelhouse is blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like the... Hogwarts sorting house because it's fun to know things about yourself and have a name for it <laughs> had you had Christy had you heard of wheelhouses before because I remember texting you that I had found out what it was about and wanted immediately wanted to know what your wheelhouse was <laughs> I have known
0: what wheelhouses are in a general sense like when people say oh, that's outside of my wheelhouse if I don't know much about it or things of that nature. But I don't think I had ever applied it to my personal reading preferences. So I had put thought into the types of things I like to read because I like to try a bunch of different things. I think you had introduced me to Storygraph early, like late last year or something. And I found that very interesting because if you
1: don't know what your wheelhouse is, that's a quick way to find out. (laughs) Absolutely. It was Storygraph we can do a whole episode on Storygraph but when I imported my other tracking app to Storygraph and it told me you like books of this length you like mysterious lighthearted reads and I was like I really do <laughs> <laughs> you're right it's like um Oh, I just got really shrill right then. But you know, it's like when Spotify does the year end stuff and it's like, you listen to the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice? 587 times last summer. Yeah, I, you know what? I did. That's awesome that you knew that. Was there anything that surprised you that showed up? Yes, it said that I liked slow paced books. That really surprised me because I didn't think I liked slow paced at all. But that could have just been my skewed thinking, because I mean, I can't, it's hard to argue with data. You know, it, it took my list of every book that I'd read since like 2008. Obviously, I do like slower paced reads, but I had just come off of my two-year binge of Harry Potter and Harry Dresden. So all those books are super fast paced. But just because I read those books didn't mean on the whole that I didn't like sl- slower paced books. Mind-blowing. to. <laughs> to me. I mean, it's true. It's true. When you look at my list, yeah, these things are slower paced, slower, more slowly paced than others. What about you? Did anything, what surprised you? I read more nonfiction than I thought I did. And then I look back and
0: I was like, yeah, I do. I did, you know, like I read that and that and that. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I just didn't realize I feel like I read more fiction and that I always should pick up some more nonfiction stuff, Mm -hmm. but it surprised me. So then I was like, oh, well, look at there. I'm doing all right.
1: Yeah your your book guilt is absolved <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right all right so let's let's really get into it what is in your wheelhouse Christy what is your reader wheelhouse so I hope this makes
0: sense and I'm not too all over the place so I've kind of broke it down into three categories the first is favorite character types so Ooh. I love the librarian archivist that people visit and they know where the information is. You know who I'm talking about, like there's even one in Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Everywhere. Um, there's one in Lord of the Rings, you know the characters, but I also love the, <laughs> the scholar detective, uh, yes. the archeologist adventurer, think Indiana Jones, Laura Croft, I love that person and the wise sage you know it can be the old lady at the end of the street that people go to because she remembers way back in the whenever and can help solve the mystery so those are my character people my tropes and devices is like generational if you're going to follow people a family through generations i love that whether it's through a series or one i love it um multi narrator so if there's more than maybe it's all the same storyline but you're hearing from all the different characters and their points of view kitchens of the great midwest did that wonderfully i loved it because it was centered around one girl who was cook and she had natural just this natural ability to cook and to understand flavors and how they work together and it followed her through her life but it did so, yes, we saw briefly through her point of view, but we saw through her fathers, her mothers, her aunts and uncles, the people who came in and out of her life, but I'm all down for it. Maybe Vinci did that in a week in winter. I don't know where I'm at. Hold on. <laughs> oh, mysteries that span continents and require research, like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code.
1: Oh, I you know, did that.
0: You know, when you're going from country to country and um, trying to solve the mystery and the more you have to research and learn historical things or art or different things like that. And another book that did this really well is actually The Omen. Can I tell you the first time I read it, I read my dad's copy and I got to the end of the book and the last page was gone. Oh, Go to the library, like immediately get in the car and go to the library. So I could stand there at the bookshelf and read the last
1: page it's a book emergency quick yeah just like say christy that (laughs) if you had did had my habit of reading the back page first you would have known i would have known and i could have been prevented (laughs) Okay.
0: okay so yeah that was my continents that and span continents and require research uncovering secrets and solving long-standing mysteries and this could be something really big like the da vinci code or it could be smaller like the mystery of the house in the little town, you know, it doesn't have to be massive, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, like middle-aged women makes over her life. Dorothea Benton Frank does that fabulously.
1: She really does. <laughs> she was of it,
0: mm-hmm. And it's not like necessarily, oh, they lose weight and got to make over that type of thing. It's no, she takes control of her life and she pursues her dreams and does her thing. And I love that. Um, you did that very well
1: too. Grady Hendrix and the Southern yes. Book playing vampires? <laughs> yes, we did. And we mentioned that book in every um, single episode? <laughs> and,
0: and I know that's part of the reason we loved it so much because, all right, and then my genres would be magical realism like Katherine Howe and Alice Hoffman. Um, they both do fantastic jobs. It's not overt. It can be very simple magic, very small things happening. Number two, Southern Gothic, like William Faulkner, Flannery Flannery O'Connor, Carson McCullers. Uh, Two more modern books of this would be Beautiful Creatures by Cami Garcia and Margaret Stahl. And Mm -hmm. that was made into a movie not, I think a few years back. And Conjure Women by Afia Atakura, who just came out last year, that that meets all the Southern Gothic little check marks. So Mm -hmm. those are two more recent (laughs) Southern Gothic books. Number three on my list would be Southern lit and any books set in the Low Country specifically, like Mark Twain, Pat Conroy, Dorothea Frank. I really, really love Keeper of the House by Rebecca Godwin that was set in Georgetown in the '40s. I think it picks up in '29 and goes through the '50s or '60s, and it's based on the Sunset Lodge in Georgetown, which okay. Is- listeners aren't familiar with, that was the local whorehouse, (laughs) and it was a very upscale facility for the time, but it was a fascinating story, it was about a young Black girl who was living with her grandmother, and she was sent to work there as a housekeeper, more or less, and she spent the, and it follows her through the next 30, 40 years as she grows up there, and the things that she experienced and saw, and she's not a real person, she wasn't based on a real person, but it's kind of, it's based on a real place and thing right okay and number four was books about books and bookshops so Mm -hmm. bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald I loved (laughs) that story it wasn't a happy happy story it didn't end the way I wanted it to but it was still so good I cared about these people so much Um, the story life of A.J. Fickery by Gabrielle Zevin Camino Island by John Grisham which really surprised me because I'm not a John Grisham reader and this one I loved the way he described this bookshop in this book and I want that bookstore (laughs) and I will work one day. I will have, we will have created this bookstore because I don't even care about the mystery and what was happening around the stolen. (laughs) Um, So inviting. I was so fascinated with the bookstore. That's all I cared about. Definitely my wheelhouse. Um, mis- mysteries, especially cozy mysteries with the, even if they have a hint of supernatural, that makes it all the better. Um, Agatha Christie, Daphne de Karen White, whose Trad Street series follows a realtor who can see ghosts and she works to solve longstanding mysteries and help the ghosts pass over to the other side. Let's see, last but not least, oh, not last, two more, dystopian, I'll, and alternative timelines, like The Giver, Lois Lowry's The Giver, okay. um, but also The Handmaid's Tale, and I love Man in the High Castle, the series. I watched the series, but I didn't read the books, but I am was kind of waiting for time to pass to give me a gap. I don't like to read right after I watched something, because they never line up exactly, and right. so, and then so I like
1: that.
0: Yeah, I need some time in between, but I love that series, that's if we would
1: have lost World War II. I've seen this advertised like when, oh gosh, when we used to go to the movies, they would advertise it on the movie screens, like before the trailer started and they play ads. Yeah. I, and I remember saying that looks really, really interesting. We've got it saved on Amazon Prime. I just haven't watched it yet. I found it fascinating. Yeah. Any alternative time
0: wise, dystopian future? Yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't like it when it gets too dark and depressing, but I'm fascinated by this is what happened alternatively or this is this dystopian and we're gonna get to see people rise up and make it better <laughs> like okay. that happened yeah. you know that happened at the end of the giver series and i got all excited for the last handmaid's tale preview that came on because it showed her strapping on a gun to her ankle and i was like yeah.
1: <laughs> who don't love a good revolution <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs>
0: and um my last one would be christian thrillers which sounds odd a lot of people look at me funny when i say this robert whitlow writes them and he's more along the lines of john grisham's side there's law and legal stuff involved frank peretti and ted decker are my favorite 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 ted decker wrote three which was a movie years and years ago about a serial killer and very good twist ending long it was blown out the water and that's kind of how I discovered this whole genre <laughs> and so and then Frank Peretti wrote The Prophet and what else my, my mind just went blank so I apologize but he <laughs> read quite a number of his things actually because I prefer him a little more than Decker. Um, Decker is very um, he has a lot of military stuff in his books, too, that I don't, <laughs> my eyes kind of glaze over, but Ryan loves. But they both <laughs> work together and wrote a book called The House, where this couple who's on their way to couples therapy finds themselves broken down in the middle of nowhere, trapped in this house. And these there are other people who also find themselves trapped, and weird things are happening. It's very self-examining and and being faced with your personal horrors and your personal fears and awful. And I couldn't put it down. And I was reading it at night. And I was heard noises downstairs when I lived in Columbia. I was like, I don't want to go downstairs and check. <laughs> but it was so good. And people think, oh, Christian horror can't be that scary. But when you're talking angels and demons and being faced with real life horror and real life, fears and things that have happened to you and you've got to face your past and your past choices. That stuff's just as as any ghost story. So yeah, those are mine. That's my wheelhouse. It's quite large.
1: I love it. But that's because you're such a wide reader and you found lots of things that you love. You're more, I think you're you're more accepting, you're more willing to try something that's out of your wheelhouse. And then you'll be like, oh my gosh, I really like this. I'm going to add it to my wheelhouse and I want to Read more things like it. I feel like so, yeah. I was
0: on an Easter egg hunt. Like I'll pick this one. And oh, I found this one over here. And oh, there's this one. <laughs>
1: Let's add them all.
0: <laughs> yes. I love that. I
1: love it. <laughs> yes. So tell
0: me about yours. What's, what you got?
1: Mine is not nearly as detailed. I'm almost, I am jealous of how, how beautifully outlined yours is. Like I didn't even think to break it down like this. And now I'm seething with jealousy but i do love talking about my wheelhouse i will i will talk about it with anyone so i'm glad we finally are committing it to tape oh that makes i'm very old <laughs> i am very old we're committing it to tape the cloud you see it's going to the cloud <laughs> i'm glad we are sending it to the cloud <laughs> uh, we're recording it a lot of this has to do with um, things that i love to read as a kid so a lot of it's like comfort but mm. not always sisters anything with sisters that start that stems from little women but when I'm in the library, when I'm in the bookstore and I'm reading book summaries um, or when I'm reading Book Riot or the number of book blogs that I like to read, it says sisters, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, OK, well, that goes in the to read pile right there. That goes on the list. Like you, books about bookstores or libraries, and that can be the setting or the subject. I recently read the library book by Susan Orlean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was amazing. She narrated the audiobook and it told her, it told us the history of the Los Angeles Central Library from creation in the 1800s to today. And it just really gave me a big appreciation for what librarians do. I mean, I know that librarians do a lot. I know that libraries service our communities in a huge way, but reading that book gave me an even deeper appreciation for libraries and librarians in a whole. So anything about a bookstore or a library will catch my attention. I want to read it, read it. Mm. The next one is a little more specific. I like discovering magic. I like it when regular people discover that there is magic in the world. I don't want to necessarily say hidden, you know, like in Harry Potter, the magical world is completely hidden, but I like it when regular people discover that there is magic. And also when regular people are suddenly some not subjected but given great amount of power and what they do with that power um that's a fascinating fascinating subject to me um speaking of which i just picked up a book called deal with the devil which is about mercenary librarians it's in a futuristic setting it's like 2060 or something or like 2460 or something like that and i just just the words "mercenary librarians" caught me. Bought it right there on the spot, and I was just—I—I I have to possess this book. I cannot—I I don't know when I'll get to read it, but I will read it eventually. What was the name of that one again? "Deal with the Devil" okay. by Kit Roche. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look for that one. I'll—I'll I'll send you a picture. Mercenary <laughs> librarians. And like the first line of his, like, um. The main characters now I can't remember her name. Um, knew she had broken a rule and now someone had to die. <laughs> I am here for it. <laughs> <laughs> books set in Manhattan. Simply books set in Manhattan. It can be literary fiction, it can be a romantic comedy, it can be fantasy, not thrillers, because I'm not I don't like those very much like just because it's set in Manhattan doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to read it. It also has to be combined with something else. I have this series of books written by Sarah Morgan that are all romance novels that I haven't read, but they all have, they're like Sleepless Manhattan or something in Central Park, or it's just, they're so cute. They're so cute. The covers are cute. They're little paperbacks. I'll send you a picture of those too. And I haven't read them yet, but I can't wait. I bought the whole series unread simply (laughs) for the titles. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm really drawn to those books. I love heists. Anything on a heist, anything where people are performing, confident people are performing at the top of their game to either steal something or steal back something or rescue someone. I love those books. Skin Game by Jim Butcher is about that. They go to Rob Hades' vault. Things don't go terribly wrong. The person who is orchestrating the heist is getting ready to have something pulled over on him, which is good because he's a bad guy. But it's fascinating to see all of these. Normally in the Dresden Files, skin game is different because everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing at the perfect time. I mean, it is just beautiful timing in that book. In the Shadow and Bone series, which is getting ready to be made a Netflix series, it is magical. Six of Crows takes place uh, like a magical Amsterdam, whereas Shadow and Bone takes place Russia type place but it involves a heist I haven't read it yet it's on my to be read shelf but I haven't gotten there yet I love magical circuses where people find out things about themselves at the circus and it makes them a better person like the night circus two books that are getting ready to come out are the memory theater uh, which is more like a traveling acting group than a circus but still in that same kind of Right. area and then the ladies of the secret circus which follows a girl who's had a broken engagement and she finds out that all the women in her family line are cursed to have doomed relationships which would be awful to find out finally um the last item that i can think of right now in my wheelhouse are magical detectives i know i should have led with that one but i didn't want people to be like oh she's gonna talk about harry dresden the whole time again and i'm not because there are more magical detectives than him there's also the conductors by nicole glover a husband and wife team who are who were part of the underground railroad who are now using magic to solve crime in philadelphia Ooh, I forgot to mention the Lions of Fifth Avenue, which is also about a heist at the New York Public Library, which also ticks off several of my wheelhouse items. Basically, I'm super happy when several of my when more than one thing in my wheelhouse gets ticked off. Magical sisters who live in New York City and run a bookstore. Yes, um, the heist of a library. Yes, which I just talked about. Sisters who discover a magical circus and then they have to have it out at the circus about all their differences. And then they come out and are much better people. Yes, any of that. Sisters who have to come together um, to um, orchestrate a heist, maybe to get their mother or father out of danger. Yes, like, yes, all of that, all of that.
0: <laughs> My recommendation to you is Alan... Alice Hoffman's Practical Magic series because Practical Magic was written first and of course sisters if you've seen the movie you know but Mm -hmm. then I've read The Rules of Magic which was technically a prequel to that so you find out and and then her latest book that just came out is let me look Magic Lessons and that takes it back to Marie Owens who was like kind of the founder of the Owens family and the women and of course they are cursed too that their loves will die and they are doomed in their relationships but it's all sisters yeah Rules of Magic takes place in New York City it tells how they what they did and they don't run a bookshop but they do run like a little store where they make magical things and sell them and how they ended up in the big house out in the country where we see Jillian and her sister go to in Practical Magic.
1: I may have to bump some things off the shelf <laughs> and you get these and move them to the front, yeah. or maybe bump some things off of my holds list at the library. Yeah, Alice Hoffman is mm-hmm. very much in my my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, she's getting ready to be in mine. I'm getting ready to add <laughs> item number eight <laughs> <laughs> right. on there. Came into their powers and. Okay, now let's let's flip it a little bit. We've talked about all the things that we love and that we love to read about. Let's talk about our anti-wheel house or as I've heard it called, the dog house. What are some tropes that completely turn you off or subjects? Like if you read it in the summary or if you hear that it's about this certain thing, you'll be like, nope, not happening. Well, I, the only thing I can really think of if, if it's
0: violent gore is a no, hard no (laughs) and as is like erotica not going there i am not a 50 shades of gray girl (laughs) no 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 Um, but other than that i will kind of pick up everything but there are definite things that will make me put a book down no matter what there has to be a level of realism in the book Mm -hmm. and even if it's sci-fi or fantasy You still have to follow the rules of the universe the author has created. The author can't get the hero in a predicament. And then all of a sudden everything like, wait, how is he suddenly moving this? Or how is she suddenly, you know, why are all these things happening? Why are people changing sides? It feels like they wrote themselves into a corner and then didn't know how to get it out. You have to follow the rules of your universe have lots of issues with um two would be inaccuracy in real life to in a real life person place or thing that break flashpoint because of that so i'm willing to go with you if you're writing abraham lincoln vampire hunter yeah you, know, you can't suddenly have people acting out of character that we know are things that we know they did historically Or you can't talk about georgetown south carolina and i'm willing to go with you on that trip mess up the landmarks or where it's located or things of that nature because suddenly i'm focused on
1: that it pulls me out of that and i'm going no it's not that's wrong honest dave cannot tell lies and you can't drive over the bridge going into charleston and see the ocean like it's yeah. right So <laughs> we just yeah anything that breaks that suspension of this
0: So number three for me would be when the villain who is the best at what he does and he's undefeated and ah, and then all of a sudden this new person comes along and because he's the hero of the story easily defeats the villain. I hate that. That's such a cop out to me or suddenly that, that smart, he's the best bad guy ever makes, does something stupid that would be like out of their character or these feel like cop outs to to have your happy ending or wherever you wanted the story to go because if this is the best bad guy ever i want to see the the heroes fight and work their way to that ending not just right, right. and then okay. my fourth first thing would be whiny cow. oh <laughs> everybody knows i hate bella swan and <laughs> and wade from ready player one <laughs> If he would just cut out the center of that book where he went through that great depression because the girl broke up with him and he suddenly doesn't care about anything. Like really, you're
1: giving up everything. You can't keep going even, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) why can't you just be who you, I mean, I, I understand that this person has changed you and you can't necessarily go back to being the exact person you were before you started this journey, but you still wanted to be on this journey. There's a reason you wanted to find, these Easter eggs, you know, they're, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe different than us, but I, I also, I, yeah, that, that bothers me. me. I don't, yeah.
0: I under time understand characters going through rough patches, but when they
1: just lay down and die, like Bella, I, it kills me. It yeah. kills me. Not even any effort given. Like, and that's not to say we don't understand people going through depression, but no. it's, that's also not even an accurate depiction, uh, that's just whining. Yes, because- it's always violin in the world playing. It's when you allow your world to be wrapped up in that
0: one person so much that you can't function without them and just wanna lay down and give up. I think it's that part, but yeah. I, you know, getting back to the idea of wheelhouses, there are some books like for me, Where the Crawl Dad Sing should have ticked off All of my, you know, a good portion of them. It's set in the South and a little Gothic in there, but not, not too much with the old house. And this is the way things were Mm -hmm. familiar with the story, but it follows a young girl named Kaya, who is pretty much abandoned by her entire family at five years old. And she's left living in the family home. (laughs) She doesn't go to school. She doesn't have anybody taking care of her. And she lives out in the marsh of this rural uh, North Carolina town on the North Carolina coast and manages through one of her brother's friends, teaches her how to read when she becomes a teenager. I don't want to give anything away. So this young girl has grown this whole time by herself and she has survived. And it was just one thing after another and it didn't help that the dialect was written in such a way that every character sounds like uh Forrest Gump so <gasps> and I listened to the audiobook which only accentuated that so every time somebody named, said her name which is Kaya sounded like they were whining because they were like Kaya I don't know it, it was just a bunch of stuff <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> give away the ending by saying that the ending the, like the last few pages were just
1: like, really? Really? You just did that? I have so many questions. Where was Child Protective Services? Where, like, if people know she's living there by herself? Okay, so her brother had a friend who taught her to read. Why wasn't she living with them? Why, where were his parents? Like, even sus- to suspend his belief to get here. Good grief. Oh.
0: Yeah, I struggled with a whole lot of things in that book. But I mean, on the surface, it looked like it checked off all of my will uh, were a good number of them, things I would be interested in. And it just, it just wasn't. And I stuck it out. I finished it. But I hate this book. Why does everybody love it? I was like, really, Reese Witherspoon? (laughs) You suggest this book? Now, I will say that the natural scenes were described beautifully
1: <laughs> but right. the only good thing i am taking with me from that book I don't even know how we got here okay <laughs> but now I want to ask you about Eleanor Oliphant now that you've finished it oh I loved it because that was another Reese pick, Reese pick too <laughs> okay we have to get back on track now yeah what's in your doghouse I have a couple or maybe more than a couple of big ones and it's going to make people hate me I'm okay with it. I am almost 44 years old. I like what I like, and I don't like what I don't like, and that's just the way we are. Um, I don't like romances set during World War II. I have one or two exceptions to the rule. I love The Postmistress by Sarah Blank, the Guernsey literary sweet potato I can never remember the name of it, but it's a beautiful. That was a beautiful story. those Those two were very beautiful, but not necessarily romances either. I would actually put both of those probably in literary fiction. Every time somebody goes to recommend a book, they're all every single person on there is recommending romances or literary fiction, literary romances set in World War II. Like, I understand that it was a huge thing that happened. But, how can there be so many stories to tell about this that's awful for me to say that I just it doesn't it doesn't interest me I feel like there's so there's just a flux of books on the market and I'm never big into things that are too popular gotcha which leads me to my next selection which is Nicholas Sparks novels
0: (laughs) I knew it was going to be on your list
1: he says that his books are um, love stories and love stories usually end in tragedy and I disagree wholeheartedly but all of his books do seem to be super sad and the girl in the book almost always dies or is mentally or physically abused or she's a ghost and visiting somebody that they don't realize she's a ghost but it always whatever tragedy happens to the woman it makes the man, a better person because of the death. You know, Mandy Moore dies and that guy goes off to be a doctor um, in a walk to remember or that poor girl in notebook gets Alzheimer's disease but Ryan Gosling gets to visit her write her stories every week to remind her about their life together which he was probably a jerk. Um, Let's see. what <laughs> Kevin Costner <laughs> like I could just, Diane Lane I just Oh man, I just, I just can't. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Women don't need to die to make men better people. There it is. Also, I don't like political thrillers, the race against the clock to retrieve this important code. So the bombs don't go off. I don't care. I don't care. Give me uh, a cozy mystery solved by like a baker or a candlestick maker in town or an elderly woman who doesn't have time for your lies. I, I want her solving a mystery every single time. I want her to find out why the town drunk died. You know, you're going to try to lie to her. She's like, nope, I don't think so. Not today. Also, and finally, and I do have exceptions to this final rule. I do not like to read anything that involves suicide, child death, harm to children and or women to push the plot forward. We have to live in this world and bad things happen to innocent people all the time. I don't want my reading life infected with it. That being said, I'm currently reading the Midnight Library, which is basically, it's a wonderful life. And we all know what happens to George at the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. But anyway, when I read those things in a book, I immediately put it down. And I will never pick up anything else by that author. It puts me off so completely that, that I just can't with it anymore. We
0: were assigned to read Dorothy Allison's uh, Bastard Out of Carolina. And
1: uh-huh.
0: okay. women's lit class. And I got, I don't even know that I got halfway through the book. I just put it down. I could, it was the little girls being molested by her stepfather. And I was Ooh. like, I can't, I, I cannot. I'm like you it's too real I can't bear anything to happen to children in tv shows and books and movies I will immediately turn it off close the book whatever it is because I don't feel like that's entertainment for me now in Allison's defense this was semi-autobiographical for her so she was telling her story and I totally get it I couldn't bear it you know I get it maybe it's therapy for some people to write that or to read that and understand and see other people go have been through what they've been through but for
1: me it just oh it breaks my heart Mm -hmm. I did not expect myself to get so heated there (laughs) talking about the things that I don't like to read in books but apparently I like I said before I like what I like and I really don't like what I don't like moving away from that and my hot-headedness about the things I don't like Christy, why do do you think it's important for readers to know their wheelhouse and their quote-unquote doghouse?
0: I think it's good to be aware of what your likes and dislikes are, not only so that you know what to pick up that you'll like to read, but it'll save you time and effort. If you know you don't like something, don't read it just because it's popular. Don't read it because somebody famous recommended it you know, it has to fit in your wheelhouse, and like I said earlier, though, just because it checks off boxes in your wheelhouse doesn't necessarily mean you'll like it, but you're more likely to. There's very few books that I've read that I would just did not like at all, and and stopped reading, and that was because they ticked off more boxes in the doghouse than they did in the wheelhouse. (laughs) Yes, you know, it'll help you narrow down and find stuff that you really like to read because none of us have tons of time. We don't want to waste our time, our precious reading time, picking up stuff that we don't like or is not going to work for us and our personal preferences. So the more you're aware of those things, I think the better it will be for you and your
1: reading life will be happier for it. I like that. That's good. Same. (laughs) I, I echo what you say and agree with it wholeheartedly. Although I do want to add that just because something, just because you know what your reader wheelhouse is, it doesn't mean that those should be the only books you read. Pick up a book because we all do it. We like the cover of a book or we like the title. We'll pick it up and read the back just because it's not necessarily, if it's not in your wheelhouse or your doghouse, you should probably read it because you never know. You might find something new that you love or hate and you can (laughs) add that to your list. It should be where some holes are in my reading. So you might wanna fill
0: in those gaps and broaden your read- reading. But if, you, yeah. if you're not aware of them, <laughs> then you don't know.
1: That's true, that's true. Props up to the story graph.
0: Going back to story graph, which we opened talking about.
1: And we're back. It's time for a segment we like to call Book Report, where Christy and I talk about either a book we've just finished or a book that we are currently reading. Christy, do you want to start us off? So
0: I just finished *Blackbird House by Alice Hoffman. And it's like a lot of her books, guess there is talk of witches and a little bit of magic, but you don't really see it. That's not the center of the book. The book is centered around this house that was originally built in the Cape of Massachusetts in Cape Cod area, John Hadley, and he is a fisherman and they have two sons and he and his wife dreams of him moving his little family out here. It's about a mile from the coast. So this is his last fishing and he's taking his two sons with him It's the first time the younger son's going with them. And the younger son has babied a blackbird and from the time it had fallen out of the tree as a a little tiny bird and broken its wing and he nursed it and took care of it and it was his pet. So the blackbird and the two boys and the dad go off to fish. A terrible storm hits and it leaves them on a lawn well. So all of them are lost, but the blackbird returns to the house and throughout the book and is now white Different people notice it and they can't quite tell Did I just see that or was that a little cloud or what was that and some people think it's a good omen some people think it's a bad omen and that's why it was called blackbird house because the blackbird was always seen over the house but each chapter is either a different generation of the family before or a new family who has purchased this farm you catch glimpses of these people's lives Some stories are happy. Some stories are very tragic and sad. The whole book as a whole ends on a very optimistic and happy note. And you feel we're on the cusp of something great happening. I loved this. It was such a sweet book. And like I said, some of the stories are really, really happy. Some are very sad, but they all had a story to tell in some way, shape or form. You get to see this house age. Some people treat it well. Some people don't. As it moves toward more modern times, it's used more or less as a vacation home. I don't know, there's just something about that house that draws the people who were there to it. They experience all sorts of things. So. I
1: love that.
0: <laughs> I, I love that the chapters are individualized the way they are because it's kind of like short stories. So if mm-hmm. you pick it up and put it down and can't get back to it, you're not left hanging or anything. Oh, okay, yeah. There was a common thread through, of course, but each story was very individualized. I really liked it. My next, I'm listening to the audiobook of The Good House by Tannen Rive do on the podcast, What Should I Read Next, which is hosted by the blog The Modern Mrs. Darcy. So the reader had very similar tastes that I do, liked a lot of the same books and had read same, similar stuff. So when the host of the show Ann Bogle recommended this book, I said, Oh, that sounds good. I think I'll go see if the library has it. So I looked it up on the Libby app. And so I borrowed it from Libby and kept thinking, this doesn't sound like the book that she described. I <laughs> got the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's just the same title different authors so completely different okay. uh, there's a gorgeous old house set in Oregon in a small little town outside of Portland called Saska Julia the mother of this family the, the woman you're going to meet and who is the main character it's her grandmother and something very strange is going on there's some hoodoo And you don't quite understand what's going on, but you just know something very tragic is happening. There's a young girl involved and we don't know what. And so as the story is unfolding, terrible, tragic things are starting to happen again. And we're trying to figure out why, what happened back then and why are these things happening now? Very sad circumstances on several of these. You would not like this book at all. Never pick it up. The only thing I can figure is like, there's a demon inhabiting the people or possessing them and causing causing them to do these awful awful things because these people are acting completely out of character all these people are doing like they're either attacking their loved ones for just no reason or they commit suicide like it's just a random and they don't know why there's some sort of magic involved because she found like a little shrine and a altar set up that apparently her son had dabbled in it Without her knowledge. And that's triggered this whole set of events to start happening. It's dark and it's creepy and it's not usually what I would pick up, but I'm in it now. I have to finish. (laughs) I need closure before I can't just stop now. So that's what I'm listening to. And I'm also reading Gear One by Nora Roberts, which is fantastic and fast paced. And I posted a picture on our Instagram the other day of the opening sentence about how. He didn't know when he shot that bird he was killing himself and billions of other people and i was like what how where are we going what's happening how did this happen what was wrong with that bird it all happens very quickly in the book so i'm not spoiling anything to say basically okay so the bird there is a family farm in scotland that they all go to every year for the holidays and on that farm is a stone circle where ancient Celts held religious activity. When he was a child there, he fell and cut his hand and his blood was there. When he killed that bird and went and picked it up out of the the stone circle, he nicked his finger, his blood mixed with the bird's blood and set off this chain of events what it released was what they call the doom which is a huge pandemic it's killing people at a rate that makes covid look happy and easy like the common cold because people are just dying at such a rapid rate it's insane and it keeps mutating at a rate that they can't find a vaccine and so now suddenly new york city looks like the walking dead and you've got Mad Max people riding around on their motorcycles, killing people. And the military's running around what's left of the military and what's left of the government, you know, because people keep are dying at such a rapid rate. They're trying to round up immune people and test them whether they want to be tested or not in their efforts to find out a cure or a vaccine. And there are two types of immune people. There's just normal humans who are immune to it for whatever reason. But then there are the uncannies is what they start getting called. And they are, the different types we've seen so far are, let's see, fairies, witches, sorcerers, sirens. They suddenly have these uncanny abilities. And the normal human immune people don't like these uncanny people. They think they're the cause of all this ancient Celtic curse thing. Nobody knows where it came from, where it started. They know who patient zero was and that it came from Scotland. That's where we are now. These various groups of people that we've been introduced to are all trying to get out of the city into safety outside of the city so they won't be rounded up and they'll be in a safe place where they can have their, you know, food and live their life and not worry about these other people breaking in and trying to kill them. It's like 10 different tropes all crammed into one book and it somehow works.
1: I feel like that's kind of like what Nora Roberts does though. That's kind of like her thing, right? Especially with Scottish stuff. Yeah. So you've got ancient Celtics
0: in a curse, a demon disease pandemic, and supernatural abilities that are bring, giving people like fairy tale ability. <laughs> like there's just so much
1: going on that things took off from page one. I love a book like that. I love a book that just goes, bam, here we are. We're in the middle of the plot and we've got to go. We've got things to do. I don't need a lot of buildup. We can should- I- I was surprised when StoryGraph said I like slow-paced books. Right. Well, and it's I think mine said
0: I like medium-paced books. And I was like, "Okay, I can kind of see that, but I'm I do prefer a book where we don't have a lot of standing around talking about stuff right in the middle. Let's let's drop me into the middle of the action. Let's move along with the action, please." That was my biggest problem with the mistress is that i loved the mystery and the gothicness of it all but it was such a slow burn
1: i needed more action yeah yeah um i think my problem with story graph is that i had a lot of stuff that i didn't finish well it, maybe at the time when i did it there was a there was not a did not finish selection in wow. goodreads and now and then it got dumped over into story graph and maybe there was I need to go through there and look through that stuff like I never finished this book I never finished this book because it was too slow all right well how about you what are you reading now I just finished the dry grass of August by Anna Jean Mayhew she knew that I liked Dorothea Benton Frank novels and so she thought that I would like this one I did like it very much. I mean, I I finished it in three days. That's how, and I am not a person who can finish a book in three days. I would like to say it is nothing like a Dorothea Benton-Brite novel. It was really outside of my wheelhouse, but it also had nothing that was in my doghouse. And I really loved it. It's a coming of age story. The main action takes place in Charlotte, North Carolina, Pensacola, Florida, and then Claxton, Georgia. And it's 1954. And it's the coming of age story of June Watts and everybody calls her Juby. It's also the relationship between Juby and the family maid, uh, Mary. And from the very first page, so it's not a spoiler to tell you this, uh, on the very first page, it says, this is the summer we lost Mary. And they're getting ready to go on their very first family vacation without their dad because their dad is staying home we don't know why dad is staying home when we don't know why they're going to lose mary it was very compelling to read to watch this girl grow up in the, in 1954 and to see the relationship between Juby and Mary but also Juby's relationship with the other people's and her other people in her family cuz she's kind of a black sheep in her family her sister Estella or Estelle her sister Estelle is um, she's a cheerleader and she leads the young life group at church and She's very popular in Charlotte, and um, the mother looks like a movie star, and Juby feels overgrown because she's like five seven, and she's 13 years old. She just feels she's very awkward in her own skin, but Mary loves her just the way she is, and she loves Mary. So Juby starts to notice lots of injustices against Mary just because she is a Black person. I will say that the scene where they lose Mary is very tough. Mary was loved by her own family but by Juby as well after they lose Mary it feels very organic to who Juby is as a person and so it didn't feel like some people would say well, well it's super contrived but it didn't to me what she does it feels very natural to who she was as a character and i don't want to tell you what she does because it'll spoil it mary so yeah the uh, the dry grass of august by Anna jean mayhew I want to see if she's written anything else because I'd be interested to see what else she has written. I mean, it won like the Sir Walter Raleigh Prize for Fiction when it came out. Beautiful. Although I will say Anna Jean Mayhew is a white woman and she has some very troubling language in it. Things that white people shouldn't say. But at the same time, that's what a lot of white people said in the 50s. And it's not condoning it. That was that was the time that it was in those darker places in the South. And when I say darker, I mean the environment was not a good one. So yeah. And I say for the third time, "The Dry Grass of August" by Anna Jean Mayhew. It it really was beautiful. I think I think lots of lots of people should read it. I am currently listening to "The um, Beach Read" by Emily Henry. It is a, it's a romantic comedy, which it focuses on a a writer she's a romance writer named January Adams and her next door neighbor, Augustus Everett. And Augustus is a best-selling literary fiction writer. And, he, you know, and so they they were also, they also were um, rivals in college. So she has come to this, this beach house to write her next book only to discover that Augustus Everett is renting the how the beach house next door. the The action tends to unfold from there. There's lots of the worst parts of their chosen genre, which I think is is hilarious because January makes a lot of good points about why people don't respect women's fiction, which is basically what she writes. It's not necessarily the bodice ripper that she writes. She what she writes women's fiction, so um, which would be more like an Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine than it then she would be you know the pirate who loved me so um but yeah it's it's really I'm not very far I think I'm only like in chapter 11 I'm like three hours in to listening to it but it is a lot it's a lot of fun to to read the beach read by Emily Henry and that's it for this week that's episode four done for us we hope you enjoyed it we enjoyed it Episode four is done. Don't forget we uh don't forget to rate and review us on your preferred listening platform. Um I know that we are now on iTunes, but we are also on Google and Spotify, and you can find us on our website. Um it helps us when you rate and review us, it helps us with sponsorships and it helps us with potential guests because they see, oh, they have lots of five-star reviews, so we want to go talk to these people. And we would love that because we love to talk to writers and readers of all kinds.
0: And be like Jared. You can also get involved in the bookish conversation by following us on Instagram at Fox and Heron Books. On Facebook, we're the Fox and Heron Literary Society. And our Twitter handle is Fox Heron. You can also visit our website, foxandheronbooks.wix.com slash salons. Or you can email us at foxandheronbooks
1: at gmail.com. You can find all the books we talk about in the show notes on our website and you can purchase books from our bookshop.org account which benefits independent bookstores.
0: Thanks for listening to Off Subject with Fox and Heron. Until next week, goodbye and happy reading.
1: And don't forget, reading is a novel idea. This whole <laughs> episode needs like a big
0: <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> Boom, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs>